Fran. Shut up! Now, I love this man, and there's no way that I'm gonna give him up to some two-faced, big-haired food critic. Hello, and welcome <laughs> to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy featuring a love triangle and tell you why whichever character who had to do the choosing made the wrong choice. I am Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And okay, okay. So today on the podcast, as I'm sure you can tell by the title, we are talking about My Best Friend's Wedding, the 1997 movie with Julia Roberts, where she's bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. It's just, it's a classic. It's a classic 90s rom-com, but it's also absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> as I as I completely forgot just absolutely bonkers. Well, we'll we'll get into it. This is also the first time that I'm like unscripted just talking about the the summary of this movie rather than like writing Sadie. down some I know um because I sat down and I tried and I couldn't do it. It's a real rom-com move of you. Like when characters get up to give the speech and they, they crumple it up and throw it out. And you're like, no, I'm just going to talk from the heart. So very meta, Sadie. That's what I, that's what I, I literally, I was sitting down on my computer and I tried to write like my entire lunch break. And I was like, you know what? This just has to come from the heart. It has to just me be spitballing this movie because so much happens in it, but also nothing happens in it. So, yeah. Okay. Let me let me describe the plot. So we have Julianne Jules Potter, played by Julia Roberts, and she is this super elite, hardcore New York City food critic. And the movie opens with her sitting at a restaurant with her good friend George, who comes in quite later. He's her one of her gay her gay best friend and also her editor. And she starts talking about her best friend, Michael O'Neill, who is the, the main romantic interest, played by Dermot Mulroney. He's a Chicago sports writer in this movie. And she talks about how they dated in college for like a month. And then she's just a very free-spirited person. She doesn't like to be tied down. So when she sensed that he was getting a little serious, she broke it off. And... It was very devastating for them both because they realized that they really liked each other as friends. So they decided to stay friends. And that was eight years ago. So now she's 27, coming up on 28. And as she's talking to George about how much she cares for Michael and how much she loves him as a best friend, she mentions this pact that she made with Michael about six years ago in this quote unquote wild night in Tucson <laughs> where he just out of the blue grabs a razor cuts his finger and then cuts her finger and they make a blood pact <laughs> where if neither of them are married by the time they turn 28 they will marry each other 28 28, 28. which is wild to me i was like 20 you're not even getting started at 28 anyway double of 16 <laughs> literally so 28 so she mentions to Wait, george that's not the double of 16 that's the worst math of all time oh I don't my know god jen I, said, I literally sorry to hijack your summary. <laughs> I, I, was, I was like, yeah, that tracks. We're both so bad. 14. At math. Double of 14. <laughs> 28. 
<laughs> and so where was I? Where was I? So she mentions that Michael has left her a couple phone messages and that he needs to talk to her. And George is like, well, you're turning 28 in a couple weeks, right? Like this has to be what what his call is about. And so she freaks out and she's like, oh God, it's, you know, and she's so worried that she's going to pick up the phone and that that's what it's going to be about. So she gets back to her house. She calls Michael back. She starts to bring up the whole packed thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm actually calling because I met this 20 year old college student. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm getting married in oh, checks watch four days. So fly out here. And at some point during that conversation, she realizes that she actually does love him and she wants to win him back. I don't know. I didn't really see that happen. But there's a lot of stuff that you just have to take for granted with this movie. So she flies to Chicago with the intent of breaking them up. So she gets there, she hugs, she finds Michael, they kind of kiss like accidentally, which was wild. And then she meets Kimmy Wallace, who is his fiance, played by Cameron Diaz, one of her first roles, I believe. And she is a millionaire's daughter. Her dad owns the Chicago White Sox, I think. And she is just this bright eyed, bushy tailed, she drives crazy. And she immediately asks Julia Roberts to be her maid of honor. Because I guess she only has like one friend. That was insane. I was like, you're a millionaire, girl. You don't do you don't have any more friends? Girl, like red flags, hello. <laughs> I mean, for everyone in this movie, sorry. And so essentially the rest of the movie is just Julia Roberts being kind of psychopathic a little bit and trying to break them up slash sabotage their relationship. Ooh. Even though Kimmy is extremely nice like there's this one scene where where kimmy confides in her that even though michael loves karaoke kimmy doesn't like karaoke she's bad at it and so of course they go to a karaoke bar and julie and julie roberts is like no 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 sing karaoke but then it backfires and kimmy sings very badly but everyone loves her and then another big thing that julie roberts does that is wild is she tries to convince Kimmy that uh, something with like Michael's job that he is supposed to stop what he's doing and go work for her father and that almost breaks them up but it doesn't work and so Julia Roberts calls George her gay best friend back in New York and he comes and she pretends that George is her fiance then that makes Michael jealous even though again homeboy you are getting married in T minus two days (laughs) what the fuck And then, so George goes back home, that whole thing kind of fails. And then Julia Roberts and Michael have this very romantic day out in Chicago. They get on the little like boat that goes down the river in downtown Chicago. They slow dance, they slow dance. Your wedding is in 24 hours, my dude. Don't slow dance with another woman. And then everything kind of goes wild because she just goes all in. Every time you think, oh, maybe she'll wake up and realize, you know, this isn't my place. Maybe I should just back the fuck off. She just goes all in and she goes to visit Michael's future father-in-law, the owner of the White Sox. He's a very nice man, (laughs) very accommodating. And she asks to use his office for a second 
to make a phone call. He says, yeah, sure. She goes in, forges a fucking email from him to Michael's boss, essentially asking him, so asking the boss to fire Michael so that Michael will then have, have to work for the company. And Julia thinks that if she does that, then Michael will think that Kimmy asked her dad to do that and then he will break it off with Kimmy. Literally, the the brain power to think up this convoluted web of lies. <laughs> but she, she doesn't end up sending it. But she saves it <laughs> in the draft. She yeah. does not delete this email. Because she's stupid. And so it gets sent. Right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Everything goes according to plan. He calls Kimmy. Kimmy, of course, is like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, I didn't do that. You're paranoid. And so he's like, it's off. The wedding's off. And Julia Roberts is very satisfied because she got what she wanted. But then, oh, surprise, surprise, he's actually a little sad about this. And so she tries <laughs> to just be like, do you want to get some food? Do you want to get some dinner? And he's like, actually, I kind of want to be alone Wait. because I just oh, broke Sadie, up with my fiance. You yes. need to mention the part where she got the wedding band meant for Kimmy stuck on her finger in this time. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then he pulls it off with his teeth. Like he, he like, yeah. He licks it off her, her finger. Fucking freak, freaky. <laughs> Woo. He's a freak for that. Honestly, these people do not have good boundaries. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Sadie, carry on. No, listen, we can just interject whenever you want. So she's dejected that he didn't immediately fall into her arms. So the next day she wakes up and the wedding is still on. Like they're still having a wedding. So she storms in wearing this little gray cropped cardigan and these little thotty sunglasses. <laughs> she barges up to Michael, who is like a gr the groom. You know, he's standing, he's sitting there at like the bruncheon and she pulls him aside and she's like, why is there still a wedding, Michael? And he's like, well, I didn't want to call it off and Kimmy didn't call it off. Kimmy didn't tell anyone. So this is great. We'll just tell everyone like while they're all here. And things just... Again, you think maybe now she'll realize, you know, because they do this back and forth. She kind of becomes their messenger. And it's very clear that they still love each other very much. But of course, <laughs> you think that this is the moment. There's, she's standing with Michael under the gazebo. And you think this is, this is where Julia Roberts is going to be like, I just have to say dot, dot, dot. And then she says, choose me, choose me. And it's completely out of left field. And then she kisses him. And then Kimmy sees, she drives away. Michael chases after her. And then Julia Roberts, like a psycho, chases after Michael in a stolen bread van down Michigan Avenue Jesus in downtown Christ. Chicago. Oh my God. Her and Kimmy have a wild standoff in the Comiskey Park bathroom. And then the wedding just happens as normal. Even though we don't see Michael and Kimmy talk about any of this, they're just, they get <laughs> married like nothing is wrong. She's still the maid of honor. And then they have a quote unquote, according to the wiki, heartfelt goodbye, which is just him saying bye. <laughs> and then he leaves with Kimmy to go on their honeymoon. And then George... <laughs> 
And then George shows back up. He flies to Chicago like four times in four days. And then she, dan- uh, Julia Roberts dances with George at the wedding. The wedding, the and the reception, which is still going on even after the couple leave. So yeah, that's, that's uh, my best friend's wedding. I feel like this movie makes so many bizarre choices that I'd, don't even know where to begin to unravel or question them. Well, I began by looking up who wrote this movie, all right? Because this movie is like some like alien observer who watched humanity <laughs> for like maybe a period of 24 hours and then was like, okay, I've got this, y'all, like, and Ren wrote this. Like, the every human behavior in this movie was baffling. Anyway, it was written by Ronald Bass, or Bass, I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name, who apparently won an Academy Award for writing Rain Man, but who also apparently, uh, I'm just going to read you this from the wiki. A small controversy has arisen over Bass's use of assistants to help him write screenplays. While it is common for screenwriters to employ assistants to help them with research and typing, Bass employs six or seven mostly female assistants that one journalist dubbed the Ronettes. According to Bass, his assistants help him in research and also in critique taking his scripts. They enable him to write, revise, or polish a comparatively large number of screenplays each year. So it sort of made more sense to me, like thinking that this movie was extremely written by committee. That would make more sense to me because each character has, they're just wild choices made with each of them. Sadie, did you know what we were getting into? I had never seen this before. <laughs> I thought this was just going to be like a smooth little 90s rom-com that was going to go down easy like lemonade on a summer afternoon. And I found it to be so jarring and angular. Yeah. I, I watched this movie when I was younger, like, m- like middle school, you know? And I just remembered think like I don't remember much about it but I remember you know like my aunt loves this movie I know women who love this movie and it's a 90s rom-com so I remembered the basic plot but I didn't know that it was going to be wild like it's the things that make it so strange are in the details that just make it so off because this is definitely considered one of the classic like 90s rom-coms. You know, if we think about like Four Weddings and a Funeral, Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail. This is up there. This, you know, against a, I believe it was a $28 million budget. This made almost $300 million. So this is a, this was a big popular movie. And yet it is so unlike any other 90s rom-com, any other rom-com period, and not in a great way. (laughs) I mean, for me, the first thing that was just baffling to ask me to believe, almost in like a kissing booth way, where it felt like this was written by someone who doesn't know what it's like to be an adult, um, was like, (laughs) Julia Roberts is like 28. She's somehow at age 28, like an intimidating food critic of immense stature in New York to the point that she would be like recognizable from like, you know, through like the peephole kitchen window. And yet, and 
despite being 28 and having this high profile job, also like talks about her life and the experiences that she's had with Michael as though she's like 45 years old, where she's like, we've been everywhere. We've, you know, we've, we've had pasta in Rome and uh, (laughs) some of the best times of my life, really. And it's like, girl, you are 28. How many places could you have been? So from the start, I was completely disoriented about like who she was and how she could possibly have the experiences or job that she has. And also, they just kind of treat one another as as though they're much older than they are. Because you kind of it's it's so she's like 27, almost 28. It's implied that he is also that age. And yet they both act as though they've been friends for like the past 20 years. Like they have this like weathered general air about them. And I'm like, y'all have only known each other like eight years. And again, where is the best friendship this movie should have been titled i mean if anything about this movie had anything to do with reality or accuracy whatsoever but this is my fuck buddy's wedding like they don't they're not even friends it seems like that the the context is that they are not in a long-term relationship but everything they mention since the point he turns up as sadie pointed out in the summary even when he's engaged to be married in like three days is then hugging each other way too closely and him commenting on how great she looks with her clothes off and then making kind of dirty jokes and like doing serious heavy eye contact flirting with each other so it's like the fuck buddy who's about to get away not that where where is the best friendship i am agog i am baffled i do not get it yeah, it's it's my ex-boyfriend's wedding, you know, and it, it reminded me a lot of her antics of the CW show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, except without the like critical lens on the behavior itself. I think at one point she does mention like I'm selfish or like I'm, you know self-involved or something like that but that was like a little glimmer of self-awareness from her character and when it happened I was like shouting at the screen like thank (laughs) you because I was worried that moment would never come and that she was just supposed to be like an endearing quirky clumsy little rom-com protagonist who just can't help but get into these little misadventures. I will say I kind of appreciate how they didn't have her get the guy at the end because it would have just felt really strange. Like she does all these manipulating things and then she does end up with him. But they they took a strange middle road where they made it seem like Michael was also very into her but also not into her. And so they had tons of like these romantic moments, like the scene where they're slow dancing on the boat or the barge, I guess. It looked more like a barge. And so it's just this weird in-between that leaves you feeling like, are Michael and Kimmy going to even last the year? Like no. beyond the fact that she's like 20, <laughs> you know, and like dropped out of college to go on the road with him, which is just like, why oh would you God ask that of your significant other but yeah it's just weird and no one really seems super happy at the end like there's just something unsatisfied left in them at the end for everyone so i don't understand where they were going with that yeah 
I feel like weirdly we spend a lot of time with these characters and yet not enough. Like they don't have the conversations that humans would have. I'm I'm being won over by Jen's theory that aliens observed one <laughs> wedding and then we're like, we, we too can make a Hollywood movie and they like drafted it up. But like, like after seeing him again for so long, they don't have a friend talk of like, hey, how are you doing? like so tell me how you met this girl like what do you like about her it's just like straight to like seeing her julia roberts in her underwear and like weird flirtatious chemistry or like michael and kimmy never really have serious talks about their relationship that aren't these weird comical blow-ups in public it's strange oh my god it's also strange and i had four separate points i've been waiting to make and Every I just seventeen more things fly up in my head because everything about this movie is just so weird and wrong. Nobody behaves as any actual human in life ever would at any instant ever in this movie. So it's really <laughs> you're right. It's like whack a mole. It's like every time I think of something that like bothers me or like or just perplexes me, I think of something else. Like the famous scene from this movie is the sing-along scene at the like crab shack or wherever they're all eating their family (laughs) meal upstairs together and they start kind of spontaneously breaking out into what's the song say a little prayer for you Mm -hmm. yeah the the lead up to that was bizarre of rupert everett telling this like fake story or was it fake about like meeting her in a mental (laughs) asylum and then like he says like someone turned to me and then just started singing the song and what there were several long group singing sequences in this movie if we're like counting oh i remembered what i was gonna say okay so i went into this completely unspoiled somehow despite having been very much existing since 1997 when this came out and i I really okay so i thought at first that julia roberts and our boy with the eyebrows were (laughs) going to end up together at the end of the movie okay and then i thought okay the only way this can make sense is if this whole engagement and wedding to Kimmy is an elaborate sham on his part to get Julia Roberts to confess her feelings for him so that they can get together on her 28th birthday or whatever. Because like literally what the fuck like to everything that happened in this movie. But that is not what happened at all. Like instead Cameron Diaz did marry him. To probably, she's going to get, she's going to get it annulled on grounds of like fraud in six weeks. (laughs) Well, and, and so that's a great point, Jen, that like, it's almost as though the weird little pact when they're, when they, when they turn 28, they don't get married. It's like, that doesn't matter at all. Like, why even include that? Because it only comes up like once the beginning. So the whole time I was like, I can't believe that this isn't going to tie in because I knew that (laughs) he ends up with Cameron Diaz's character at the end. So the whole time I was like, I can't believe that this is happening the way that I'm watching it happen. It's almost like the pretty in pink 
it's almost like pretty in pink, but like terrible, where it's like, I, I know that she's going to end up with the wrong person. So it just makes it so many so much more baffling when throughout the movie, they keep making the decisions that they do making it seem like she's going to end up with Ducky. But in this movie, it's just like, why are you making these decisions if you also want the audience to be happy at the end? with what has occurred on screen. Cause I was certainly was not happy with anything that occurred on screen. <laughs> also this mo- like his wedding is in four days. It's obviously meticulously planned except for like the wedding party apparently. And yet he informs her of it. He's apparently her best friend. And yet he doesn't let her know about it until four days beforehand. Well, remember there's like a part yeah. in the very beginning where he says that he's been trying to contact her for over a month. Oh, gotcha. Okay, but still, so they did try to write around it a little. Um, uh, th- this is the my fuck buddy who I still sometimes have lingering thoughts about wedding. Like, oh my God. And we get nothing about like the basis of their friendship or their relationship. All of their time on screen together is like, remember that time in Tucson? Yep. Remember that time in Phoenix? Yep. Remember that time in Paris? Yep. Like, it's solely just recalling things that happened to them. We don't don't get a real sense of like what their dynamic is beyond like shared memories and then these romantic f- flirty moments that just kind of read as f- fuckboyish and not like oh we have a long standing friendship yeah like they have a song that's not a friend song and he he keeps comparing her to Kimmy constantly and then said and, and with with Kim coming out on the losing side that you know he and Kim don't even have a song isn't that crazy do you think that's okay now let's slow dance on this barge for a while while I sing our song to you. And Julia Roberts straight up says something about the hot affair they're going to have like twice a year. And he's just sort of like, okay, now let's cuddle up chest to chest. (laughs) You know, it's not good or normal behavior. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Do you do you think we got enough from her at the end where it's like she's realized that she did wrong things and this is about no. character growth. Yeah. No, I do not think that. If anything happened with character growth, she would have stayed the fuck away from that wedding and reception and not been there as a weird brides. It's the maid of honor making fuck me eyes at him throughout the ceremony and then made a big creepy speech that was all about herself at the reception and then said that he and Kimmy could borrow their, meaning her and his, song for their first dance. I mean, what in the world? Why did Kimmy not come out of this with an assault charge? Like, wait, Kimmy? What did Kimmy do? No, I'm saying, how did Kimmy? How did Kimmy not just launch herself at this woman in with murderous intent? Like, what is wrong with her? So I was trying to remember a scene where I had seen Kimmy be violent. No, uh, but Julia Roberts I'm, needs to be arrested for grand theft oh God. auto and emotional manipulation and email forgery. And yes, 
so many things. And Kimmy is like, oh, I, okay, I know I, I have read the updates that Stockholm Syndrome is not a real thing. This was some misogynist bullshit made up by, you know, some psychiatrist who wasn't even involved with the situation with a lady who was very rightfully trying to save everybody's lives in a hostage situation when, like, the police were about to get them killed. However, like, Kimmy, my good, <laughs> my good woman, what the fuck? I realized that you were 20 and you were in love for the first time, but th this is just bad decision making. Like, get the fuck out away from... First of all, she should get away from this horrible man. I hope that, what what even is his fucking name again, Michael, in this movie? She needed to get away from him from the start. That of all the awful scenes this movie, and of all the crimes, that literal crimes, that Julia Roberts did, the scene that made my blood run the coldest was when Julia Roberts manipulates Kimmy into trying to get Michael a better paying, cushier, in one place job job in Chicago, right? Through her dad's business or whatever. Because Julia Roberts thinks that this is going to make Michael get upset and dump Kimmy two days before their wedding. So Kimmy naively goes along with it. And then Michael flies off in this, the grossest, like, masculine rage about, yeah. oh, so you're saying my job's not good enough. I'm not good enough. You won't quit school for me and follow me around well I'm just done right now until he gets Kimmy to break down and cry and say that it's all her fault and she's entirely in the wrong in a public restaurant and then he gets settled down and says well okay 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 and sits down and I guess I'll still marry you and you still can have the privilege of following me around the country on my shitty low paid job it is so <laughs> toxic why do they so want this man? Yeah, like, I mean, we see why Julia Roberts might not have wanted him, but, like, Cammy, no, girl, no. Finish your degree. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's hard to even root for Michael and Kimmy because you don't see any sort of solid basis for their relationship either and I mean maybe one of the reasons why it's hard to write good relationships between these characters is like the characters themselves are kind of flimsy like there's this scene where Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz are like trying to characterize Michael or like laugh about Michael's qualities and the best they can do is like oh remember how he snores yeah he snores it's like yeah they, they can't talk about any personality traits that he has it's written by aliens like there's no i don't and then they cast some very charismatic actors and they had some catchy singing scenes that's all i can think and this movie has done more to convince me like again i was definitely alive but i wasn't i guess keeping up with celebrity gossip as much at the time but in the like the age of like box office headlining stars when like you know george clooney and julia roberts and people would just go see a movie because that actor was in it that must explain the success of this movie yeah it's about julia roberts smile more than it's about 
out like like anything else. Julia Roberts looks very hot in this movie and very completely unhinged in the whole movie. And like she is unhinged the entire time. Yeah. And so so in in this case, I feel like it's really hard to argue for the other girl slash other guy and just more focused on like these characters are so wild both individually and together that I propose that the only way that this could work if it has to work is a throuple. <laughs> I feel like that's gonna de- devolve into toxicity like oh so fast too. so fast and yeah. I I actually texted um, my lovely, wonderful co-hosts to remind me about one line in the movie that's where Julia Roberts is talking to George and he's like, well, do you like Kimmy? Like, you know, blah, blah. And she says, if I didn't hate her, I would absolutely adore her. That, I was like, well, I cracked it. Like, (laughs) like that is just (laughs) such a... There's so many like weird sexually charged scenes between... But yes... Yes, we're getting the into it, Samantha. Scene. Yes. The elevator scene. Cameron Diaz's character literally just randomly stops the elevator, practically pins Julia Roberts against the wall, and is like whispering yes. seductively into her ear. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I yeah. thought that was the most charged scene in the whole movie. Yes. Definitely more sexually charged than Dermot uh, licking a ring off of Julia Roberts' <laughs> hand. Uh, yeah. And yet, like, I wanted more of that, and we didn't get that much more of it. Oh, my God. Same with the, the bridesmaid's dress fitting scene and where she's saying to Julia Roberts like you won't be satisfied unless you stand out and stuff and Julia Roberts gets so overcome with feeling she has to go take a smoke and then rips the thigh seam of her dress like if I had watched this movie on mute I would have definitely assumed that the primary romance was between Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz. That would be a cool 2020 retelling as she goes there to break up the wedding to steal the groom back, but ends up falling for the bride. Oh, I think absolutely if this movie was made in 2020, then that was, then that's how it would go because their chemistry and their like, like the, what is like, left unsaid between them in so many scenes like it's just it's a no-brainer I feel I feel like the movie kind of like it started out like setting it up like okay we're gonna see lots of Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz together they're gonna be these fast punchy scenes Cameron Diaz is kind of a little like firecracker driving her convertible around got a little like spoiled rich girl going on but also like weirdly kind-hearted but also possessive but also very intuitive like I thought they were going to stick with that and then they just turn her by the end of this movie into this like meek diminutive little weeping willow who just like cries at the thought of like ever losing Michael and I like why her character just took such a left turn for me away from such a promising early direction I still thought at the end that there was a strong possibility that Cameron Diaz's character would just fucking reject him at that point Mm -hmm. would you know and so then even if they didn't get together then the two quote unquote best friends would be just left sitting in a train station or whatever together you know and like well we bungled this one up too you know kind 
kind of thing. But no, that's not what happened. It, and that's just such a waste of Cameron Diaz. I don't know. This whole movie sailed on the charisma of the two lead actresses and them just being able to like powerfully project personality at a camera when it's not written into a script or even necessarily directed. And I think that that's what people have picked up on and like about this movie. Yeah. I mean, for me, the best part of this whole movie was the opening music video, which... Which was also creepy. No relation to the events of the movie, but is just fantastic and also has some kind of homoeroticism going on. I think very much so. Well, I was I was telling Samantha um, before the podcast started that it reminded me a lot of, but I'm a cheerleader. Like these really weird forced gender roles presenting themselves in like this satirical 1950s over the top fashion. It's so camp. Yeah, Yeah. it's like exclusively a group of women taking like all the rites of a wedding, the bouquet throwing, the the garter removal, all of that, and like reenacting them and kind of sending them up. And like the bride catches her own bouquet, which would fit in with Jen's desired ending of Cameron Diaz, just like rejecting it altogether and going off to get married to someone who's not a roving sports writer (laughs) who's not honestly that faithful to her. Also, I have fun facts. I brought some research on that music video. Oh yeah, hit us, Samantha. Tony Basil, who did Mickey, choreographed <gasps> that hey, music Mickey, video. Hey, so fine. Oh, we should have known just by the look of it. Damn. And like she did an incredible job with it. And you, once you make the connection and you've seen her other like music videos and choreography work that she's done, it it makes total sense because it's like it's so playful and campy but like very just dancey and fun and like irreverent it's amazing yeah and and it was it, that was so much fun to watch in the the opening music video but the lyrics to the song are very regressive and you know i i think i texted samantha and sadie and was like is this song saying that a man won't marry you unless you put out and wear your hair the right way for him you know i mean which is like yeah that's exactly what the song was saying uh but then the movie sort of weirdly in an incredibly offensive way to everyone involved turned the gender roles around sort of like that the women in this movie had the power but they were just fighting over the man as a possession and he didn't really have much agency of his own and could go this was it was just incredibly strange like I am truly shocked that this was written by humans for humans and I am really not sold on that still. Picture Jen space aliens being like we will call it my best human friends wedding. No. (laughs) Humans would not call each other human best friends. My best friends wedding. (laughs) That's great Zendor. (laughs) Write it. (laughs) I feel like Well, and like what you said reminds me, it's just if they had changed a few tonal things and not labeled it as a rom-com and not made it a rom-com, then it would have been a very interesting movie about like love and like how 
you'd do anything except just saying that you love someone and also how love can also be like a crutch and like something toxic for people. Like I think a great example of that is the scene where Kimmy is confronted by Michael or whatever early on in the movie and then he grows like super upset at her and just becomes this huge asshole and she just like breaks down and really reveals herself as like a 20 year old who's really desperate to marry her like much older, what like twenty eight, twenty nine year old boyfriend. Like she just, I mean, she's like <laughs> he, he read much older. Yeah, he he's like she's craving his love. She's craving his approval, his attention, and then he himself is just like an insecure person, and all he wants is someone who loves him that intensely, that desperately. So he has his own issues to work out, and then Julia Roberts has her own issues to work out. But everything at the end is just unsatisfied because no one really learns their lesson. Julie Roberts kind of does a little bit, but not really. I just don't know. You're reminding me of the scene where he's trying to explain to Julia Roberts what he likes about Kimmy. And the best he can come up with is like, Mm -hmm. when we're in public, she lets me hold her as long as I want. And she doesn't pull away. And it's like, dude, how insecure you that you're in public and you're just like, mommy, can I hold you for five minutes (laughs) in the middle of the gallery mall? Like... What? Yeah. No, I was going to bring... I I fucking hate Michael in this movie. Like, I... He could just sink to the bottom of the sea and be lost, and I would be fine with that. I mean, I like the actor. I've seen well, yeah. other stuff, and he's great. <laughs> and he's handsome and everything, but this character could go. He does have, like, this, like, kind of annoying expression on his face all the time. Like, one side of his mouth is, like, kind of always a little bit open in a way that I think is supposed to make him read as like masculine and sporty but it just makes me want to like put my hand beneath his chin and shut his mouth for him okay and another point in the argument that this was written by aliens instead of ronald bass or whatever he's credited as his army of little alien ronettes is every behavior of rupert grant's george in this movie like i'm assuming in 1997 maybe it was considered progressive to have a gay character featured at all. But uh, this is like the example of the gay best friend who is just there to support this woman's absolutely batshit decisions and just prop her up with no, you know, it, what, I mean, he's her editor. He is her boss. What in the fuck is he agreeing to go along with her on the fly scheme of pretending they're engaged for? Why did he come back at the end? He is the only one who gave her any good advice in this movie. When he said, is this actually about Michael? Is it because you really love him? Or is this about winning mm-hmm. to her? Like, no, and and then she she just immediately blows him off and it's like, well, I think at first it was about winning, but no, he's just so wonderful. And George called it, and George somehow ended up having to be the eternal bridesmaid in this movie for his good efforts. I'm going to issue what I think will be a humorous on-air correction. Rupert Grint is is Ron from (laughs) Harry Potter. 
sorry. <laughs> this is uh, Rupert Everett. And I think like Rupert Everett, is, like great actor. I, I think like once once he came out or something got like really typecast because like I've seen yeah. movies where he plays heterosexual like love interests. Uh, he could. Convincingly because he's very exactly and attractive. And, and yet I feel like this is annoying role where he just gets slotted into the gay best friend by a Hollywood. He could have been the love interest so easily and more convincingly. Sorry, Dermot. I I am (laughs) selecting Rupert at this time. And so I get Jesus Christ. I'm on a roll tonight with math, with um, Harry Potter secondary characters. Anyway, Rupert Everett is a very fine man. And I'm sorry that he had to play this role. I did like his line during the the wild, unhinged car chase scene where he's like, <laughs> so Michael's chasing Kimmy, you're chasing Michael, who's chasing you? And she's like, no one. <laughs> and he's like, exactly. And he like- <laughs> said that to her like, you know, 40 minutes ago, but then we wouldn't have had a movie, I guess. <laughs> Why is he still talking to this bitch at this point? Like, honestly, why did he fly to Chicago from New York? He is her editor. When he gets there and he has given her all this great advice to tell Michael how she feels, she goes over to do it and then she chickens out and then she realizes Michael gets jealous about George and then she pretends that he's her fiance. I feel like again, like that that's the point to be like, fuck you, you're fired, we're done here. <laughs> Like, what the hell? We at least saw one little snippet of him having a life outside of her where he's attending a book reading. Yeah. But of course, he immediately gets a phone call uh, looping him back into her misadventures. But maybe that's a step forward because usually in these movies, the gay best friend, I think, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, seems to just enter cryo sleep. Um, <laughs> like whenever the female protagonist is not on screen. I mean, if we if we want to give this movie credit, I don't know if we should, and it's probably not even their intention. I think that it was clever of them to kind of introduce this 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 scene because not only is he doing something unrelated to her, but it's like the complete opposite of who she like of who she is in this crazy world that she drags him into. Like in his spare time, he just likes listening to like somber poetry readings or book readings or whatever. And so it's kind of just like he's granted this reprieve from this crazy life that she has built for herself. But then he has to like get brought back in and he goes back to just being the gay best friend. So I'm glad that they included Uh, that. Yes. And you know what was weird watching this with 2020 eyes and forgetting for like I didn't I looked up and saw that this was made in 1997 after I completely finished watching the movie because I was so just like, what in the hell? I knew it happened. It was made in the 90s, but I didn't know what was happening at any point in this movie. So it was, but when she made the big deal to to George about how she needed his ring to wear it when she was on the, I was like, oh, he's married. He was at that dinner party or whatever with his husband and she's trying to borrow his ring to wear right now. And then, you know, reality set in like, my fucking God, in 1997, obviously he was not legally married because that was not 
legal federally or anywhere in our country yet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, we say at the start of this podcast, something about the choices. What's your little spiel, Jen? I change it a little choice. every time. And yeah. it's just like everyone in the movie has made such bad choices that it's hard to like correct any of their, their choices. But it's just yeah. like, I feel like it broke the podcast <laughs> out of all the movies that we've done that broke the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be this one. Rupert M. Everett, pick a new best friend. <laughs> yes, that's the wrong choice we should be arguing for. <laughs> Rupert Everett just needs to find another, you know, plucky young writer in New York who acts like she's 45. There's plenty of them. Plenty. And <laughs> since we're talking about Rupert Everett a lot, one final strange thing about this movie is that they kind of frame George as another guy, but he's canonically gay. Like he's not straight. And yeah. so it's it's like at the at the end, especially that weird scene where she picks up the phone and like she doesn't know that he's at the rest of the wedding reception but then he says like why aren't you dancing and why is your dress that color and blah 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 and then he says all these weird flirty things that i feel like you really would only say to someone who you're attracted to and so it's just this weird like out of tone thing where it's like okay so she kind of ended up with george even though george is gay question mark yeah i think it's just supposed to soften the blow of her rejection a little bit to be like she'll always have her gay best friend to dance and cavort around with but they yeah. lean so he hard into it yeah, he will fly to New York multiple times within a three-day span just to dance with you at a wedding that he apparently crashed. And uh, what? Okay, I do have something else to say about the side characters who were barely set up. Wait, Jen, before, before we go there. See, Get in there. To your, theor- to your point, remember when George says that sometimes he pre- he's making it up supposedly but he says i pretend to be gay cuz i find it gets me closer to women <gasps> what if that was uh, what if there's a meta layer where the whole thing george was the mastermind of it all i mean damn it's a horror movie and he he was actually telling the truth when people thought that he was lying and is a is a straight guy pretending to be gay who sent his best friend on what he knew would be a doomed mission to break up this wedding so that she would like get closer to him through the process well 100,000 percent this is absolutely a horror movie i am not disputing that Samantha, the first kissing booth gave you a bad case of existential (laughs) dread. This was the movie that did that for me. This movie made me convinced that we are observed by life that is not us and does not understand us and yet is trying to influence our psyches via media. (laughs) Jen, why would aliens (laughs) write my best human friends nuptials? Why would they? Samantha, I don't know. You ask them. But I am even 
even more horrified to think that this was written and marketed and joyously embraced by human beings. It truly bothers me. (laughs) The aliens ran an experiment and it worked. And 50 years from now, they'll come back with the data they've collected from my best friend's wedding to ensnare our whole population. Who knows? I I don't know. I mean, uh, why would they even want to ensnare our population? I really yeah, don't know. We kind of suck. But <laughs> but no, again, yeah, Rupert Everett says at the end, and when they start dancing, he does reinforce the canonical like, oh, but like the perfect man, like talking about himself in the third person, but he's not straight. And then they just go dance and have a good time anyway. So it's just sort of like what he's going to be on call is your gay best friend, even though you were a absolute fucking psycho who needs to do a lot of therapy and maybe never have a fuck buddy again. I don't know. What were you going to say about side characters though, Jen? Oh my God. Okay. So I was thinking about the few side characters we are introduced to. And Sadie mentioned, of course, are very strangely like friendly and trusting father of the bride who let her in his office unsupervised for all that time to cause chaos and whatever. And a few others. But of the few side characters we meet, the other two bridesmaids, right, are one of them. And they make a bit, I can't even remember the other, there were two adjectives they used for them. Something I can't remember and sluts. Sluts is repeated multiple times over the movie for these two women who don't seem to be even they just seem to be curious and eager until they have a totally huge spectacle where one of them gets her tongue stuck to an ice sculpture to bring ice sculpting back in this podcast yes yes uh, well, like you wanted to talk about this moment, <laughs> <laughs> like licking the penis of a nude male eye sculpture, which why the fuck would you have that on a table at your wedding anyway, but it happened. And then the other one whose tongue is not stuck to the penis of an eye sculpture is very gloating about it and whatever on the phone. They did show off their new mobile phones quite a bit in this movie, which did make it feel strangely more modern because they had a phone in their hand they were just walking around with somewhere. Timeless. (laughs) And yet the executive is like... Dolly, I've left uh, four emails in my in my drafts. Yes. <laughs> send, my them drafts send them like, all. Send them all. What the fuck? And okay, but here's the thing that one of the few other side characters we are introduced to is Michael's Mr. Eyebrows younger brother, Scotty. this curly haired guy, Scotty. And he is like kind of like hugs and rubs Julia Roberts' hip for too long upon meeting or whatever. And I guess he's supposed to be like the lecherous younger brother, whatever. Anyway, this really bothered me that at the wedding, they showed him multiple times with the ice sculpture dick licking bridesmaid. Like that they are like, it was like implied that they are a couple now. And like, how old is Scotty? What is going on? I don't understand any of these families or anything that is happening here. Uh, the fact that you <laughs> just said, I sculpture dick licking bridesmaid and it <laughs> described like a real thing that exists in this movie says a lot. I think Scotty is supposed to be like, he's younger and Julia Roberts is hot. And he's like, oh, girls like, oh, I'm like, gonna hug you a little too long. 
long. But again, we don't get like enough of his character to like really establish that. But like Cameron Diaz is supposed to be 20. So how old is Scotty? Yeah. Also like that family scene, the the hugging scene you brought up Jen was weird because like Julia Roberts is like vamping it up for like Michael and like all of his like older relatives she's like yeah she yeah it made me uncomfortable in a way that recalled the kissing booth one and I'm glad (laughs) you know what it's like what it was like for me Jen to go through that I think I do know Sadie, what have you done? What have you done? What? <laughs> Making, uh, bringing this movie into you our lives. You made us watch this. <laughs> Sadie, are you one of them? Are you one of the aliens? <laughs> I Again, I will say, I truly had no memory of this being any different from any other 90s rom-com. You know, they were all, all the other 90s rom-coms in my professional onion were very good, had very different plots. That's because most of them were written by Nancy Myers and Nora Ephron, and they're the greatest screenwriters ever. But they all follow like a similar plot structure. Like, you know, you have the heroine, stuff happens, quirky characters, fun little storylines, and then they end up happily ever after at the end. But this one leaves such a strange little dark, bitter taste in your mouth that it's just weird that it's billed like any other rom-com so i don't know oh this actually and i am loath to admit this but now that i have seen this nightmare that we watched (laughs) it kind of makes me want to go back and revisit because i had never seen this one but i remember that runaway bride was like a staple of how even old was I was in like eighth or ninth grade when that one came out. It was another one of the Julia Roberts rom-coms. And I remember getting like crapped on a lot by my peers for being like, guys, this is not a good relationship. And everybody being like, Jen, you just hate love at the time. And I don't know, man, but it kind of makes me want to watch that again and see if it is just as deranged as this is. I feel like now I feel like the other Julia Roberts. Which movie was it? Did you say Runaway Bride? Oh, I will. I will say well, I'm with Sadie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're about to say, I agree with you. So don't make it too egregious. <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say I was just thinking about the filmography of all of the actors and actresses in this movie and I was thinking specifically about Julia Roberts because for me a Cameron Diaz, just a great actress, The Holiday which is another rom-com that she starred in several years later with Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black is what I consider one of the greatest rom-coms ever made. It was written by Nancy Myers. It's so beautiful. And it really shows off Cameron Diaz's rom-com range, like her ability to just be amazing in a rom-com that this one just, you don't get it 
at her character at all. But I don't think that I like a single Julia Roberts rom-com. I was thinking, I, I just, they're all flops for me, personally. Wow. <laughs> what about Notting Hill? I don't really feel Notting Hill. Like, I, I never really got into it very well. And I feel like it's just very, it's very apparent that it was written by a man <laughs> who, even though he wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is also, which is a, is a great movie. But again, there's just a little something off about it. I don't know. And like, yeah, her character in that, like, okay, yeah, she's showing up, what, to spend her life with him now? Or to spend like a happy, like two to three weeks with a normie before she goes back to her life? Like, you know what? Oh my God. I th- And probably because I just read the newsletter of our guests who are upcoming this week. And one of them suggested that Ryan Murphy should have been the director of The Kissing Booth too. But Julia Roberts is much more like an unhinged horror queen to me who can oh, sell she that. Been great in so. horror movies. I oh, wish, yeah. Uh, I, wish. <laughs> I mean, a lot of actors probably like don't want to touch them because it's perceived as lesser, but Julia Roberts would have been an amazing scream queen. So good. What if if Julia Roberts came into like the series of American Horror Story? It would be incredible. <sighs> yeah, or she could have done a like hereditary esque Tony Collette. Oh my god, role. yes. <laughs> but then again, if you've been labeled America's sweetheart in the past, you're probably reticent to puncture that image too too much. <gasps> Sadie, you and I need to do a blood pact. Not. <laughs> about anything but so that I can see <laughs> that you have human blood and that you're not one of this space aliens that uh that made this movie and have been trying to expose more humans to it <laughs> you do, you just cut me open and I just bleed like seeds like a bean bag that gets a hole in it <laughs> <laughs> my god that's why she eats so many yeah. seeds she's made of <laughs> seeds <laughs> i mean we would still love you and hang out with you sadie we would just know sure that you're sure. not a human person you're just a seed eater <laughs> gosh well um do we have anything else to say should we rate we couldn't even yeah we, this movie was sort of like what those two terrible people I guess sort of deserve to end up with each other but like we don't really care about either of their well-being yeah something better should happen for Cameron Diaz and hopefully it will you know even after she married this guy her family has a lot of money a, a poorly chosen early marriage can be hung up really quick yeah the this is you should choose the other 90s rom-com <laughs> If you're going yeah. back, if you're on a nostalgia trip in quarantine and you're looking to just feel good and and just kind of drink a glass of wine and watch a 90s rom-com and turn off your brain, this will turn on your brain this is in very disturbing ways. Yeah. <laughs> I will go ahead and just create a list of rom-coms from the 90s to watch instead of this movie <laughs> to fill the whole the, to fill the hole oh, in your God, heart. Oh God, please do, Sadie. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know why it even bothered me more than some of the bad 2000s rom-coms we've watched for this that are like e- 
overtly homophobic and like you know like ah, i just we've i watched it we've talked about it for an hour and i just still feel like weirdly like i've got a splinter in my foot about it or something yeah it was just so so earnestly presented with the top actors of its day that it and like not in a character growth or but in just this like this is a normal and cool human experience that people will relate with like and nobody can relate to this i hope aliens (laughs) only aliens can well shall we rate it i like i will give it uh 1.5 chicago drawbridges out of five and most of my chicago drawbridges are for tony basil's choreography in the music video if i went to a theater and expecting a two-hour movie sat down and watched tony basil's three-minute music video of wishing and hoping as performed by ani defranco i would be like and then the credits rolled i would be like okay i feel like i got my money's worth (laughs) but (laughs) add this i could have carried on and i have the whole rest of my evening Yeah. (laughs) Unexpectedly short, but still delightful. But as it stands, I see this as a great music video that has a weird and inexplicable rom-com attached to the end of it as an extended credit sequence. Okay. I guess I'll go ahead and go first because Jen always has the great blowout ending (laughs) review. No pressure, guys. No (laughs) pressure. I very much pressure. (laughs) I give it one Michelin star out of five. Remember, she's a food critic. Huh? Anyone? Anyone? I certainly Ooh, forgot. Oh. <laughs> because it had some very attractive people in it. And there were some funny lines. And I do think that Julia Roberts obviously is a great actress. So she was good in this movie. But otherwise, not yeah. it, fam. Not it. Sadie, I must, yeah, I I must concur with your point there that there were a few scenes where just the camera stayed on Julia Roberts' face and she had to cycle through like five emotions suddenly and she did a great job. Like, I do not blame any of this on the actors who were trying their damned hardest. However, I give this movie a negative to bellmen who are going to be fired for inexplicably sharing a cigarette with Julia Roberts, who is just a completely out of her mind, looks like she's on drugs person in the hallway while he is trying to just roll a fucking tray of stuff back down to go back to the restaurant and my god nobody in a super nice hotel in chicago who values their job would have ever fucking done that no matter how beautiful julia roberts hair was especially once they saw the absolutely unhinged ready to murder any man look in her eyes at that point that was paul giamatti did you yes oh my god really i mean he looked so familiar to me but his hair was different so i was like what (laughs) thank god he got uh, better roles eventually because it's like he's a great actor and it's he's used for like the like sad sack waiter who's like oh it's okay chin up like, girl yeah 
pour, you know, pour two out for Paul Giamatti in this movie's lost job when he turns back up uh, at the, you know, Bellman Central and they're like, why do you smell like cigarette coming off a non-smoking floor? And he's like, well, this this broad was really charming. Yeah, And that's my review of this movie. Has worked in every hotel in Chicago, just getting <laughs> fired from each of them for offering too many cigarettes to, to sad women in hallways. <sighs> Well, Jen, do you want to roll into a little outro segment? Absolutely. Give me give me the good, Samantha. I, oh wait. I, what is our I haven't sang our little thing in so long. What did we even call it? Oh, I remember. <laughs> it's called Happily Ever After. Oh, it has music now. Wow. Yeah. She I sings mean, too. <laughs> It'll change next time because I won't remember what I did this time. But mm, I'm I'm bringing it all to the table for you guys, for our listeners. It's been a while since we've done a little outro like this. (gasps) What do we have to say? I'm trying to think. Yeah, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) Jen, I sent you our listener feedback that we've held over in Instagram DMs. But in the meantime, we can say, find us on Twitter at YSSTOG. You can email us at yssTOGpodcast at gmail.com the last person to email us we did the movie that they recommended so you know like if you want to get a movie on the podcast seems like you'd have a 100% success rate did, did we didn't do the movie that she emailed though no we still we still have it on the list Samantha wait <laughs> I have a false and we memory. talk often about how we, we love she her. She emailed the Philadelphia for writing that story. to us. Oh well, which we are planning to do, <laughs> which we absolutely will do. We love you. I think that I remember her name, but I will not say it now in case I get it wrong. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We'll just keep on promising. Next week, we're going to do the Philadelphia story. Oh, it's good time. No. (laughs) No. We love our emailer, and we will do your movie. It's on the list. Okay. Oh, oh Jen, wait, no, you she's ready. I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. I had more air air filling. <laughs> well, what were you going to say? Now I want to know. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us that <gasps> little five stars. If you're tempted, if you're going to click on something below five stars, as Jen likes to say, Jen, you say it much better than I can. <sighs> Just go fuck right off into the sun. Yeah, it's free. You're, you're listening to it. You don't have to listen to it, but if you love us we love five stars and we love those little blurbs that people sometimes write with the five stars oh that gives us such a boost but honestly why would you listen to however long this is and like why why would you listen to the whole thing and then leave a bad rating like yeah if you're here at an hour and a half value your time more than that okay like <laughs> <laughs> for the Take love of god look at yourself yeah. in the <laughs> watch something else <laughs> That's my recommendation. Uh, We recently crossed 2,000 total plays, which means that people have spent a combined, like, you know, 90 something days listening to our podcast. And yeah, my advice is look at yourself in the mirror, examine your choices, think about what (laughs) in your life led you to this moment. 
you right. listen to us talk about rom-coms. You know what? You could be like a skilled eye sculptor by now if you put that time into that. See, so we've- said that on Twitter and she is determined to piss off the eye sculptor. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually me. I'm still, I'm oh, wait, still really? harping on that. Yeah. No, but I also <laughs> quote tweeted. Oh, no. I also quote tweeted it <laughs> and said something about that. Because it's so true. That I think I'm sorry about to that say. forever, Sadie. Because I thought that it would take like eight years to become an ice sculptor, but all because of Sadie's bold claims on the Groundhog Day episode, I know that it only takes 90 days to become a decent ice sculptor if you I dedicate a lot it. of time and to I it. And I could do it in 10% of that time. <laughs> takes 10,000 hours to get good at anything, according to a pop statistic I've <laughs> that heard a is million times. bullshit, because it took us one hour to get good at podcasts. <laughs> it took us the first, the first episode to become geniuses. I mean, frankly true, although I don't think we started to really achieve our heights until... Samantha and I disliked Sadie's favorite rom-com, Leap Year, which we will discuss again with Sadie bringing on an ally for an upcoming episode. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we have to do Philadelphia Story before yes, we, we must. Leap Year again. Yes, yes, It yes. would be the greatest insult no, to our fans. We, we need we need our girl. And you know what? I swear I know what your name is, but I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong because that would be the greatest insult. <laughs> in case I don't I'm actually it up. know it. <laughs> I have called you a name. I want to use that trick in real life. (laughs) When I forget someone's name, feel like I I know what it is, but I don't want to say it. I don't know. Well, Samantha, have you ever confidently looked into a person's eyes and said their name wrong before? Because I have. And it's not uh, your husband. <laughs> oh yeah, I kept you... on calling him Dustin the first. I time thought you were doing him. that to like knock him down. Fuck. Like yeah. I just heard Dustin, and so I called him Dustin for like you at, six hours. You, you didn't someone... even actually call him Dustin. You called him, you sort of would like do a like hair toss over your shoulder and call him husband Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> Was what Samantha called my husband, whose name is Justin with a J, for, I would say, not even that very night we met but until the second time she met him months later i saw it on the internet at some point and (laughs) because i don't know how to read (laughs) but you you had to get to know him for his own merits and make sure that he was legitimately okay and not putting on a front before you would not call him husband dustin and i respected that immensely and he himself was very honored when you started calling him by his actual name. So I'm like a cat that hides under the bed when people are over, and then I slowly <laughs> come out. You know, and we all had a very beautiful friendship happy ending. And speaking of Justin, he wilded out a little bit on our Kissing Booth 2 bonus episode when Nancy joined us and we speculated about how many Jacob Elordis it would take to reach the moon from Earth. And he calculated from the Hollywood sign 
the actual Hollywood sign. Unfortunately, he did not consult me first so that I was not able to tell him that this was a fake Hollywood sign constructed in South Africa. But he went from the one in California to reach the moon and it would take 181,026,744 Jacob Alordis and if the last one stretched his hand out, (laughs) then he can touch the moon. I'm going to stick with Sadie's original estimate of four Jacob Alardis. <laughs> it's four. Appreciate the effort, Justin. I mean, thank you to Justin, but he's wrong. It's four. I believe Sadie originally to said Dustin. Jacob Alardi, however, has grown since then. So husband Dustin could have miscalculated but Justin, <laughs> this is the kind of feedback we want. This is thank you for modeling the kind of fan intense fan feedback that we like. Do math for us because none of us can do math on this podcast. So as go, demonstrated yeah, at the beginning of this episode. For us. And he will be very excited to hear this when it publishes tomorrow or the day after because I absolutely am not going to tell him that we discussed this right now. And We have a beautiful, beautiful mail from a listener called Carmen. This is is a Sadie friend, right? Carmen is a Sadie person? Yes, yes. Carmen! A Sadie person. Sweet! Okay. Carmen said compliments about us uh, that I'm going to skim over. I'm not going to say the compliments to us. However, they are so appreciated, Carmen. We love you now. I mean, Sadie probably did before, but this is my first contact with you. (laughs) And then she said, as for the Twilight one, I just wanted to say one thing, lol. So Jacob was attracted to Bella because she was about to... Uh, she was to be the mother of the baby he fell in love with like holding in barf emoji but following that same logic shouldn't Jacob have been attracted to Edward too I want Jacob to be like yo let's get this three way on (laughs) this is taking me back to a dark place but like Oh my god, yeah, that's right. Is that partially why Jacob was so anti-Edward? Because he was attracted to the sperm that was somewhere being developed within him, but then he wanted to reject that attraction, so... I mean, the short answer is... There's no room in the Twilight universe for same-sex attraction. Somehow, despite all of the rule-breaking and mystical supernatural stuff, the idea of a guy being into another guy is beyond the pale. But yeah, I remember us talking about that. We might have brought it up and it got cut out for length because our Twilight episode was already like two hours long. But like the (laughs) idea that he was attracted to... He imprinted on the baby like while it was still a gamete raised, I think, interesting existential questions about what where Stephanie Myers thinks like life exists, that like the egg is like the thing that has life and the sperm when it's really just like the sperm is just like the quickening like Highlander 2 that also the Highlander universe acted like never existed afterwards. When biologically we know they, they play fairly equal roles in creating a zygote and who knew that we'd learn biology on this podcast you know well we're learning math I hate that I've learned biology (laughs) (laughs) oh 
no. A bunch of like, you know, English readers get together. Sadie, you talk now. <laughs> <laughs> what have I got to say? I don't know, but say something. <laughs> I'm just chilling here. Well, that was our outro. Did we already say our our various handles, things like uh, that? Say it I again. Go ahead say and do that. We, have we ever said that? We're so bad at do, <laughs> doing these. Okay, well, Sadie's here now, and I <laughs> and I'm capable. You can follow us. You can find us at YSSTOG on Twitter. And we are also available via email at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your various thoughts, comments, questions, concerns for our sanity, etc., <laughs> etc. Et and you can also find our actual podcast that you're listening to. <laughs> which I just so I don't know why you would need to hear this part on Spotify and Apple Music. Peace out. Who the hell do you think you are?